Hello friends. If you are in Chicago or in the Chicago area on June 26th, I will be teaching my first live and in-person class since March 2020. I cannot believe it's actually happening. So come on out. I want to see you and I want to dance with you. I'll be teaching the art of the slow burn and my newest class, Fem Powered Flow, which is the class that explores feminine energy without the burden of self-judgment. Check it out at michellemore.com slash workshops, and I hope to see you there. Hello, and welcome to Look Down There the show where we talk about all the things we don't talk about. I'm your host, Michelle Lamore. Today, my guest helps women with period and autoimmune issues live full and abundant lives. She uses her experience as a clinical dietitian and AIP coach to to help unblock mental and emotional issues to implement a healthy lifestyle. Please welcome my guest today, Sherry Hassan-Bokas. Hello, Sherry. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to finally talk to you in person. Yes, I, I remember finding your account online and it, and it hit two really great things for me, autoimmune issues and period issues, because we don't talk about either one of those things enough. And so you kind of combined <laughs> all the taboo subjects into, into one account. So I was really excited to uh, chat with you today. Same here. And uh, actually, you know what happened is uh, I started having like period issues when I was like really young. Um, and uh, but actually was one of the reasons why I decided not to go to medical school and go to dietetic school instead, even though I got a scholarship for medical school. And after I graduated, I realized that whenever I try to get information on autoimmune disease or how to deal with that, uh, the information would often contradict what we learn about, you know, uh, how to deal with period issues or irregular menses or uh, painful menses. So it's like, okay, you're telling me not to do A, if I have an autoimmune disease, which I have, and then if I have a period problem, you're telling me to do A. So which is which? What happens to the women who have both? So this is actually why I, I combined both and I went and did my specializations first in female hormones and then in uh, autoimmune disease. And I've been in private practice since like uh, end of 2013. And over the years, one of the things that keeps, you know, popping up is how we do have symptoms and uh, the symptoms that we have it tend to mess with our daily lives. And, but it's not the symptom itself that is annoying. It's what it prevents us from doing. And the, the problem is that it tends to, you know, really mess with how, how we think or our mindset because we tend to feel that we are less of a woman because we're not having our menses. I don't know. It was like that for me. Uh, or um, we, we're not able to do what other people are doing, especially when you have an autoimmune disease. And we look like completely healthy, right? Mm-hmm. So... 
this is like what actually pushed me to go into a different field and incorporate more of uh, something called psychoneuroendocrinoimmunology into what I do. So basically, it's like how uh, what goes on in here is going to interfere with our hormones, our immune system, and our nervous system. And like I've seen you mention that as well, like how your mindset will definitely impact not only what we're able to do, but our health as well. Right. And in the case of autoimmune issues, I mean, autoimmunity is is hard to understand in the medical field in general. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of the Western medicine doctors, uh, they don't understand it and they just try to mask the problem and shut it down instead of getting to the root of the problem. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a woman coming in with these symptoms and saying, you know, this is going on, this is going on, it, it's, it's easy to write you off because you're right. We do look totally healthy and, um, you know, and we're complaining, women are complaining about these you know, strange symptoms that no one can really put their finger on. And so a lot of times this stuff just goes untreated or it gets buried or masked or band-aided. So it's, it's really important, like you're doing functional medicine. Um, and that's that I, to me, but I think is, is key to helping to alleviate our, our symptoms. Definitely, definitely. Um, but one of the things that I I see as a professional that is like really missing in the field is that, you know, we keep telling or advising our clients to, okay, you should avoid bad food, uh, you should uh, try to do this particular, um, you know, lifestyle change. And yeah, all of these are, are, are really important. But if you look at there's something that is called the iceberg model of health, and this is something that I actually came across when I was doing my graduate studies at MSU uh, in health promotion. And it tells you that the tip of the iceberg is uh, your lifestyle, your diet, your genetics. But then just below, so the first lev level of the iceberg just below sea level would be your social interactions. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you're like surrounded by uh, happy people or toxic people, this is going to influence what you eat and how you live. And then just below the um, uh, social interaction level, you've got the mindset level. And the mindset level, so how you think or your beliefs, your thoughts, uh, all of that is going to influence who you deal with, who, uh, who are the people who are in your, in your uh, environment. And that's again going to influence what you eat. And the final, the foundation of the uh, of the iceberg would be spiritual health. So many people think about spirituality as uh, simply praying, but that's not just that. It's also you know uh, knowing that you have a purpose on on earth, uh, being able to enjoy the small things, uh, treating others well, irrespective of you know uh, skin color, gender, and things like that. Uh, but also treating the environment right, treating uh, animals right, respecting their rights and things like that. Because when that bottom layer is not well nurtured, all of the other layers will be affected. So I keep I kept saying like you know we've been struggling with implementing like uh, AIP and then like uh, it's not working. We're still having symptoms because we just focus on mm -hmm. that type of iceberg. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't operate in a bubble and I think we try to just piecemeal our healing when really we have to do it holistically. And, mm. you know, I think autoimmune disease is actually a really great opportunity to dig deeper because the symptoms are really just a call to action to yeah. go ahead deeper below the surface and, and really handle and heal those issues that you might be having um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually and really kind of bring it all together. Um, you mentioned AIP and I have a lot of experience with AIP, but it stands for autoimmune protocols. So can you, can you tell us more about that diet? Okay. Uh, so first I love that you mentioned that an autoimmune disease can be an opportunity. Uh, so again, it, uh, it really depends like the, the outcome of our health issues will really depend on how we decide to, to view it. Um, but yeah, so AIP, uh, we have to differentiate between the AIP diet, so autoimmune paleo diet and the autoimmune paleo protocol. So like the diet mentions is just about changing what you eat. But the protocol is much more holistic in the sense that uh, you eliminate foods that could have a, a potential to trigger an inflammatory response or that would, uh, in a like, very tiny nutshell, uh, irritate your gut lining and could cause an immune reaction, which would uh, trigger flare-up. So all of these foods, which might be healthy for someone else, but are not necessarily healthy for someone who has an autoimmune condition, will be uh, removed and replaced to the focus is a lot on replacing with nutrient dense foods or gut healing foods uh, and not just like eliminating and eliminating but it also looks at uh, how you manage your stress and uh, when we think of stress we tend to think only of uh, you know uh, stress at work or stress in relationships but there are like uh, we coined nine different types of stress you, you have a st not to go into too many details but uh, the stress uh, that we put on ourselves to so internal pressure um, or it could be the stress that your surroundings it could be environmental or the people who live with you, the stress that they impose on you, or the stress of what you're eating if you're not tolerating these foods. So it looks a lot at how to manage your stress. It looks a lot at uh, sleep quality, but also nurturing healthy relationships with your surroundings. So not just people, but nature uh, and your environment. And it will also look into supplementing when it's needed, but not it does not over rely on uh, on supplements. And there's a lot about um, resilience, so meaning helping the person deal with her lifestyle, deal with her uh, diagnosis, and uh, really create a fulfilled life in spite of having that, that autoimmune disease and not making the disease or the diagnostic define who she or he is as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, I, I found AIP first through um, going paleo. And going paleo was a slow process. Like I didn't do everything cold turkey. I think it's kind mm -hmm. of important to 
ease into this if this is mm -hmm. you know something that you're interested in because it can all seem very overwhelming because our world is not set up for a lifestyle like this it's it's no. not quick and easy it's actually very mindful and it takes time and so yeah there is a lifestyle change and there are some sacrifices that you have to make and you know i turn to it because well, I have alopecia, so I was super stressed out trying to get answers, and I've had alopecia since, since I was six. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, there's many factors as to what could cause autoimmunity. And, you know, so I was on the search, and I was in the middle of a flare-up, and my doctor just looked at me and shrugged her shoulders and said it was hard. And I was like, well, that's not good enough, <laughs> you know, like there has to be something. So then I started reading about inflammatory foods and I was like, well, that's my entire diet. <laughs> yeah. I love, I'm a Midwestern girl. I love my uh, starch. I love my cheese. Um, I love my bourbon. Um, you know, it was like, that was my reputation. If people came to my house, they would bring a hunk of cheese over. <laughs> um, okay. so it was a big change, not only for me, but also for my friends seeing me go mm -hmm. through this and, and not really telling them why, because I was being quiet about it. Um, and then I leapt into the AIP, which, was a struggle. I mean, that was a struggle for me. It, it was, that was like a sacrifice. Um, that was just one, it was just too much for me. I, and, but I, I stayed with it for about six months. And what mm -hmm. I realized actually in that time was like, oh, this doesn't have to be a punishment. This is like, let's clear the slate. Let's clean your body. And then we'll, bring foods back in so you can tell how your body is reacting to it. I think a lot of times when we, we eat food, we do have reactions, but we don't know what's happening because we're so desensitized to our body. Mm -hmm. So I felt like AIP really um, brought in this hyper focus to like, okay, what does my body do when I eat a nut? <laughs> you know, what does it do when I have some cheese? And And you can kind of tune into those little differences that, that's nice because uh like I, I like that you mentioned that AIP is hard because uh it is hard and uh my approach is uh, uh i would say a bit different in the sense that um well i i was raised up on a traditional diet it's very french like lots of baguette and butter and cheese and you know uh, so, and then I went to university and I learned that, you know, butter is not good, margarine is good. So I shifted from like a heavy diet to an, a really unhealthy diet because, you know, that's what dietetic school teaches you. And then I started getting all of these symptoms and I came across paleo. I, I went paleo and uh, paleo was fine because it, it brought me back to my childhood diet in a way. Uh, but then like all the improvements stopped and I was a bit like, you know, at a loss because it was not, it was not enough. And it's not until like three, about three years later, I, I came across AIP, but uh, I didn't implement it. Like for me, it was for my dad because he had uh, 
renal uh, psoriatic disease, meaning that the psoriasis had affected his uh, kidneys. And the doctors were like, okay, you know what, we're going to give you uh, medications. And my dad was like, okay, but this is going to have so much side effects. And the doctor said, yeah, it will affect your liver, but then we'll take care of the liver afterwards, which was not good enough. I mean, it was... I just didn't sit well with me. So while we were driving back home, uh, I just stopped and I told him, you know what, I can go and buy your medications for you. Uh, but how about you try AIP? And when he tried AIP, it's good to know that he, we had already done a lot of mindset work before, meaning that, uh, you know, we, we, we start by rewiring the brain just by implementing a few like very tiny habits to make it easy for the person to expect other changes and also understand how you're eating, why you're eating certain foods, other an emotional, like for me, uh, bread, for example, brings back happy memories, not anymore, but it brings back happy memories. So simply telling someone who has happy memories attached to a food to just stop eating that it's just not going to happen. So you need to be able to like deep, like peel the layers of an onion and try and find the root thing. Okay, why is that food so important to you? Can we try to get that, that feeling you get and we get it from somewhere else? Once the person is able to get that feeling from somewhere else, then the food no longer has the same, um, not the same value, I would say the same, um, I'm not, I'm not getting the word, like, um, uh, you see, when I speak English, like the French words will come, and when I speak French, like my brain speaks in English. So basically, the, the hold, yeah, the hold that the food has on you, uh, when you're able to understand the subconscious uh, beliefs that are associated with that food, it's easy then to, to give up that particular food. And like in my career, I've worked a lot with, you know, teenagers who came in to my office and they told me, you know what, I'm not going to stop eating my KFCs, my weekly KFCs and McDonald's and my Oreos, my daily Oreos and uh, my daily uh, Burger Kings and like really a lot of, uh, you know, uh, fast food every single day. And I'm like, okay, fine, you can do that. Keep eating that. We are just simply going to focus on why you're eating what you're eating and how you're eating. And then after a month, they tell me, you know what? I'm not, I can't even finish like the whole package of Oreo in one sitting or two single meals is too much for me. I'm just eating one. So they step away from these foods and start incorporating more nutritious foods happily. So it doesn't feel like the diet is a diet of uh, I'm depriving myself because I have to watch what I eat. Otherwise, I'm going to get sick. I personally feel like it's no way to live. It robs you of your of your of your purpose because you're always wondering, am I going to react to that? Am I going to react to that without realizing that when you keep stressing about what you can react or not react to? You put yourself in an inflammatory state and you're more likely to react to foods you wouldn't otherwise have reacted to. Yeah, exactly. I was definitely feeling that way. I was really obsessed and concerned and like the stress of it was just too much. And then I had to calm down and be like, you know what? 
I'm not chasing hair anymore. I just, I know what my body likes now. I know how to feel good. Like that's what's important to me. My hair will do whatever it does. And I need to to just be happy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I found while pursuing this different diet is um, you were talking about the feelings of memories and that food is such a source of connection for us and how we celebrate, you know, how we celebrate with our friends. We celebrate with drinking, you know, we celebrate Mm -hmm. with having a big meal, um, going out to eat or whatever and holidays with families. And, and I remember, you know, the hardest part of it was, was not feeling supported and um, I think it's very important, you know, that that's great that people can come to you and get that support, but it can feel very isolating because it's just not how the world works. And, mm-hmm. and then I would get angry. I would get angry that, you know, why is it so hard and so expensive to find real food? It's just food. It's real food. It shouldn't be this difficult. And then I would just get very angry about the whole um, quote-unquote food industry and knowing that I can walk into most grocery stores and know that about 98% of the food that's in there is not food. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, true. It is true. Yeah. So how how does your period get affected with autoimmune diseases? Well, that would really depend on what kind of autoimmune diseases uh, that you have. Uh, but like in my practice, well, let's start with me first. Um, like uh, by the time I changed my my diet, I was having my menses like once a year. And to be very honest, although my parents, uh, they celebrated the first time that I got my periods, uh, because I was an athlete, I was actually happy not to get my periods. Um, because, you know, I, I love training. So when you have your periods, you're a bit slower. And I was always trying to, you know, improve my racing times and, and things like that. But then uh, at some point you start realizing, okay, there's something wrong. And I don't know how to explain it, but when you don't get your menses, when you're supposed to be getting your menses, you just feel weird. There's something, and uh, it makes sense in a biological way because of all the hormones that are not being uh, produced and and things like that. Uh, So that was the big issue for me, like not getting my periods like for many many months or when i would have have them it would be like a really small amount and like lots of cramps and especially i had lots of back pain but would make it like really hard for me to even get out of bed and i was 24 at the time so that's very scary for someone who is 24 and is like wondering okay will i be able to walk today things like that but for many others, uh, the issue would be having periods that are too frequent. So like less uh, close, fewer than 27 days apart or having a large amount of uh, like bleeding a lot. Like I had uh, largest last week, there was this um, new client who was mentioning that the first two, three days of her period, she has to use like eight pads, maxi pads, one on top of the other, because even the, the diva cups, it will like make even more of a mess. So by the time like, the first pad is full, she has the time to 
to, to go and change it and things like that. So uh, it's not just about like how much you're bleeding or not bleeding or how often you're not getting your periods or not getting your periods. It's all the fatigue, the, you know, deep in your bones, uh, fatigue that comes with it, uh, the brain fog, you're not able to concentrate, or you forget simple things and all the pain, like you feel like you're a thousand years old uh, and you cannot do like very, very simple things. And uh, it does bring uh, like depressive, depression symptoms or anxiety because, of course, you wonder what's going to happen to me down down the road. And I would say that the thing that I would I believe is the most painful for all of these women would be that when you look at them, they look healthy. So when they come and they tell you I'm in pain, like I know what it feels to, you know, feel every single bone in my body and still have still going to work and, and like, you know, uh, delivering speeches and things like that. I'm not going to go and tell everyone, you know, I'm in so much pain. But then at the same time, when you are a bit slower, people don't understand. So, OK, yeah, she's just lazy. If you're able to overcome that and stand up for yourself without, you know, having to expose your whole medical issue, then good for you. But I believe that uh, I don't and I don't I've, I've lived in a few different countries and I believe that it's something that's an issue in many parts of the world uh, where women are expected to be like small men in a way. So you have to do everything just like a man would do without realizing that there would be a time during the month where, because we are women, we need more self-care. We, we, we need to nurture ourselves more. We need to slow down. And it's normal. But when that time happens and society tells us that, no, you need to hustle, hustle, hustle all the time, we can start thinking there's a, there's a problem with us, especially if, it, you know, like two weeks before you start getting PMS and you're like, a zombie for like half of a month uh, over and over again. And how do you go and explain it to someone who won't even take the time to understand it? Mm -hmm. So this is like how periods and autoimmune disease, they, I, I believe that, you know, when you have an autoimmune disease plus period problems, like you get even more pain with it. It might not be the cramps, but it might be like headaches, uh, migraines, or joint pain that, that would really affect the woman who has both issues. Yeah, I I was on birth control for a very long time, probably mm -hmm. 18 years or so. And mm -hmm. that, you know, really pulls us off of our own timing and what we're you know, paying attention to our own cycle and what we might need during certain parts of the month, right? Mm -hmm. So when I got off the pill, I had no clue what was happening with my body. Um, I was experiencing a different kind of PMS <laughs> that, um, you know, was like, it basically came down to, I had probably three good days a month where I felt like wow. myself you know, and it was in changing my diet that those things regulated and that mm -hmm. I could start tuning into that timing and paying attention to when I'm having that anxiety and, and going, okay, why am I feeling this way? And then looking at the calendar and being like, okay, mm -hmm. that, you know, that's what's going on. But, um, 
you know, what is the what is the optimal period in terms of duration, flow, PMS? Like what what things should we be looking out for? Okay, so actually PMS uh, are simply, well, not simply, but they are a red flag that there's something off with your body, off in the sense that it needs rest. And when I say rest, it's not just simply sleeping. It could be sleeping, but you could be needing to have creative rest, like to have fun. Uh, you could uh, need uh, digestive rest in the sense of like watch what you're eating or maybe nourish your body more. So uh I what I tell my what I've experienced myself is that like during like the two weeks, uh, the first week before you you ovulate and the week afterwards, you're supposed to feel like on top of the world, like you know like you can go for your dreams and like achieve everything you want. Wait, you which which part good. of the cycle? The first and the last? Is that what you said? Uh, so when you're menstruating, usually, so that would be the first part of your cycle. When you're menstruating, you're shedding an organ. So it makes sense that you would feel tired and maybe a little bit more emotional, but not emotional to a point where, um, you know, you're crying all the time or you're angry all the time. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about, emotional. But then, like, you have uh, when the, the uterus, uh, uterus lining is, like, reforming, this is like your period of time where um, you might be a bit more creative, but then the week that's just before the time you ovulate and a few days afterwards, so I would say the, like half of the month, you're supposed to feel on top of the world. So this is usually the time where people, where women will tell you that, okay, my breasts are hurting or I have mood swings or um, digestion is not that good and things like that. And they think that, okay, it's normal. I'm going to get my periods. It's not normal. It's actually, it actually means that your body is not healthy and that you need to look into what it needs to reach optimal health. So in terms of, uh, of length, it would be 27, 28 days would be uh, the maximum, uh, the minimum duration of a cycle. And the maximum would be about 35. So when I say 35 days, it would be like num day number one starts with your periods. And then in terms of duration, it would be like it, three days is fine. Uh, some women have it five days, seven days also is fine. More than that, uh, you run the risk of becoming anemic. So I would say seven. Five to seven days would be the, the norm. And uh, you're supposed to ovulate, like, science tells you that it's, like, on the day 14th. But, again, it will depend on how long your cycle is. So 27 to 35 would be would be fine. And um, it's also important to understand that what is important in the menstrual cycle is not whether you bleed, but whether you ovulate. Because you might bleed but not ovulate. Oh, interesting. I didn't ovulate, know that, that was possible. Okay. Yeah, because uh, this is actually like if the egg does not get fertilized, then you will bleed. But you can bleed, your body can shed the organ even if no egg was, uh, so you didn't ovulate. 
So what's the most important thing when uh, when we consider a menstrual cycle is not, so what I do is I, I won't just ask my patient, um, are you uh, having your menses, but okay, are, do, are you sure you're ovulating? So the next question is, how do you know? There are many ways. So you can look at uh, vaginal discharge uh, different, during different times of the month, um, but you can also look at body temperature. So when you're ovulating, there'll be uh, like 0.4 to 1, 1.2 degree uh, Celsius change. Um, so um, that higher, is, higher or lower? Higher, higher, okay. yeah, higher. So your body temperature will uh, increase uh, a little bit. And it varies, like, why for some women it's as much as one degree and uh, for others it's 0.4. That has to do with your physiology. Um, but, yeah, your body temperature would increase. And I have many women who tell me, okay, you know what, I'm not interested in ovulating because I'm not planning to have uh, kids anytime soon. And ovulation is not just for pregnancy. When you ovulate, your body is going to produce something called progesterone. So progesterone is a hormone. And to keep things simple, do you know, like long a long time ago, uh, people didn't have phones, uh, they didn't have email. So they would need to, like, let's say I need to send a message to uh, someone who's on the 10th floor and I'm on the first floor. And I don't want to take the stairs. So there would be someone called a messenger, all right, uh, who would, I would give my letter to the messenger and who would take it to uh, the office on the 10th floor and so on and so forth. So hormones are like messengers. So one organ would produce your, the hormone that would go and send a message to another hormone, uh, to another organ, right? So progesterone is a messenger that when it is released, it helps a woman feel like, you know, really feminine, uh, sick, sexy for herself, not necessarily uh, for others. But, you know, when you feel deep down, you feel very sexy and voluptuous and things like that. So that is the work of progesterone. So it increases your, your libido, but it increases, uh, it improves your state of mental well-being. So this is why I mentioned that when you ovulate, you're supposed to feel like really you know, bubbly, and which makes sense because uh, this is the time of the month where you're fertile, right? And again, it's not ovulation is not just about uh, pregnancy, but if we look at an evolutionary uh, point of view, if a woman is fertile and is like really grumpy and, uh, you know, has very low libido, uh, the human race would be practically extinct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, that's, that's from an evolutionary point of view. Um, but like, I believe that when God created like uh, uh, like human beings, we tend to see the period as some uh, as this big burden. But it should not be the case because this time of the month is actually something that is going to make us feel better because of progesterone. And progesterone it decreases your risk of having breast cancer or cervical cancer or uterine cancer. And uh, it helps you uh, have quality sleep. So it is somehow linked to the production of melatonin, which is uh, another hormone that helps you fall asleep, stay asleep and have quality sleep, right? 
and it helps to protect your muscles it helps to protect your thyroid it helps to protect your cardiac muscles so your heart so progesterone is extremely important and we are doing a disservice to women when we tell them that okay you don't because what happened to me uh, my doctor told me okay you you want to get your periods but you're not interested in having kids now so just take the pill but it does not fix the problem because when you look at the molecular composition of the pill uh, the substances that are in the pill look more like testosterone so they are calling it like the female castration and uh, whoever wants to take the pill i'm fine with it but as long as you know why uh, whether you have other uh, choices or options um, besides the pill uh, because when that is given to a very young woman uh, who has just started, uh, so a teenage girl who has just started menstruating, and we're giving it to her because she has acne, or we're giving it to her because her menses are irregular, and they're supposed to be irregular when you just start menstruating, right? What we are doing is we are preventing the brain from talking to the ovaries. So there is something called the brain ovarian axis. The brain talks to the ovaries. It tells the ovaries, okay, now it's that time of the month, uh, start producing that and that. And uh, the ovaries will send another signal. Uh, and the, the adrenal glands also work together. And they say, okay, uh, the coast looks clear, meaning that I'm not producing a lot of uh, cortisol, so uh, we can let her ovulate, for example. And the issue is that, you know, when we start having our menses like the first few years when we're having our menses it's kind of like when you open a tap on and like water you have a drizzle of water flowing and after a few years you close it you will see the path of water but if midway like three years after you open the tap three years after the girl started getting her menses you open it on like the maximum amount you turn the water pressure on and when you close it after a few months, the first path will have disappeared. And this is why so many, and I've seen it a lot, many, many women who, by the time they reach 25, they come and they tell me, or oh, 27 or 30, whatever, they tell me, okay, I want to have kids now. And uh, I've been off the pill, but I cannot get pregnant. I cannot ovulate. And then when we go back and we look at it, they've been taking the pill for so long that it has erased the, you know, the small river that the brain was uh, creating to be able to talk to the ovaries. So unfortunately, many of these women, they can never get the periods back again, ever again. So this is something that women need to know. They have the choice, they have the right to take the pill if they want to. This is not what I'm debating here. What I'm about is we need to empower women so that, okay, you want to do A, at least you know all of your options, and then we respect the decision that, that you make. Um, and the other issue uh, with the pill is that it really damages the gut. There have been like numerous studies showing that damages the gut, it affects the thyroid and it has been linked more and more to autoimmune diseases. Yeah, I know. I, I That was shocking to me. And when I realized that I was on it for so long, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I had no idea. 
Yeah, and well, again, this is not to uh, you know make anyone who's on the pill worry. It's just to put the information out there so that you can discuss it with your doctor. And if your doctor is willing to discuss it with you, then that's fine. Otherwise, if the doctor was like mine, I decided to simply stop seeing that doctor because I was interested in knowing why I was not getting my periods and not to to just you know get a bandaid slapped on it. Because it's not about my menstrual cycle. It's not about me getting kids or not getting kids. It's a vital health marker in a way. Right. But that's, I mean, that's key is being able to talk about it and talk about it with your doctor. (coughs) Even going to someone who is trained to talk about these things, it's still Mm -hmm. very embarrassing and shameful for women to talk about this with their doctor or friends or Really, so you know they could just be suffering in silence, or just thinking like, you know, we. I think that we do know our bodies very well, and I think that mm-hmm. we do have an intuition, but we will defer to someone in a white coat because we think, well, they know better. Where internally, there's something going. No, 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 this is not right. Um, mm-hmm. So, what can we do to overcome? those feelings of shame and also tuning into our own intuition when it comes to these matters? Okay, so what I usually suggest would be to go and see your your beliefs about, about the periods. Where do they come from? Where did you get them from? Did you get them from maybe your society? Uh, or did you get them from like your parents or your grandparents? And you have to be willing to write these things down. Like, for example, okay, periods are dirty or periods are uh, shouldn't be discussed in uh, in public. These are not things that I believe. It's just things that uh, people have told me. Or um, like uh, this was never my case growing up, but I know that some Muslim families, when the, the, the woman is menstruating, we don't have to fast. And it might look like, why don't we have to fast? It's really hard to fast when you're having your menses. So this is actually a blessing. And uh, we see it as God's mercy on the, on the woman because she's menstruating. She needs to rest. She needs to nourish her body. But in many cultures, uh, the woman would have to wake up and not tell the others that she's menstruating. Mm-hmm. So go back and see where that belief comes from. And we it's about setting boundaries in a way so okay you are allowed to believe that periods are dirty periods should not be talked uh should not be spoken about but i have the right to believe that this is part of my natural physiology so your belief take it back i don't need it anymore of course you don't go and tell the person that but you could write it on paper like things that okay you don't agree with because uh, it just goes against, uh, you know, uh, the periods or something that should be uh, shamed uh, or you should not want to talk about. Write it on paper and then maybe you just burn it and you tell yourself, okay, this is not something that I choose to believe in. And then start talking about it without feeling that you, without thinking that you're doing something wrong. Like, for example, uh, when I asked about uh, I asked about my about the menstrual cycles uh, when I talk about that to my with my clients, um, 
at the beginning, you can see that they don't want to, to answer the questions. And then I would just go and tell them, okay, this is so why it's so important for us to menstruate. And okay, talk about it. And the more that I see that someone is uh, embarrassed to talk about it, I will give her homework. Okay, today what you're going to do is you go and you talk to your sister or to your brother. You got your menses and it was like that, 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 that. Okay, so uh, just make it something that is, uh, you make it familiar because the brain learns by repetition. So meaning that, okay, today that talking about your periods is not familiar. Tomorrow you do it again, your brain will be, okay, again that. And after a week, after two weeks, okay, I always hear you talk about your period. So it might be, it must be something that is normal. Okay, we accept it as normal now. Mm -hmm. It's just about starting. Don't try and change the world. Try and change you first. Yeah. How you believe, what you think about your periods. Yeah, I mean, I remember being a kid and... Uh, and you know going to the bathroom and hiding my tampon and you know I, nothing's going on here um, <laughs> but you know no more i love having my period i'm a i'm a super fan i i feel like i learn a lot about myself every time and um something that i've started doing recently is not using tampons and using um like the special underwear um Okay. Like yeah. Bleeding, right. So, yeah. so that's been a new thing that for me the past few months where I'm like, Oh, this is what's going on. Cause before when I use a tampon, it just plug it up and you walk away, walk around. You have no idea what's happening until you take it out and you're like, all right, whatever. Um, but I'm like, Oh, this is a whole new experience. And now I'm paying attention to, um, the, the amount, the color. And, uh, you know, I find it all very interesting. Um, is, but what do you like? What do you think about as in terms of products? Like, what do you what do you recommend using, or what are your favorites? Okay. So uh, basically, what you uh, like the freestyle kind of thing. This is really good, especially if you can get something that is not bleached or um, does not have you know dyes or artificial dyes, because the problem with pads and tampons uh, would be the bleach that is used and the chemicals that are used in that. I got like. I learned about the chemicals when I was really young because I would, you know, like start having all kinds of reactions because of the pads. Um, but the Diva Cup is is uh, nice as well if you can get something that is medical grade uh, silicone, for example, and not like the cheap knockoffs. Or uh, you have some that are really cute and everything, but yeah, don't go and put something that has glitter. You know, oh, you geez. don't. <laughs> <laughs> a little glamour pussy yeah <laughs> exactly exactly but you run the risk of uh you know the uh, vagina is something that is really delicate yes it is self-cleansing um but don't go and add chemicals that are not needed there which brings me to something else um i've always been like really irritated to see like you know you have like full grocery aisles uh i mean in the supermarkets a lot of female hygiene uh, stuff. Why is it that men don't need it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a whole different uh, topic, but yeah. you don't need all of these, you know, uh, 
perfumes or like to wash it because these chemicals, what they're doing, they're going to strip away the good bugs or the good bacteria that reside in the vagina. And when you take away the good, you're allowing the bad to come in and like really multiply. And that is when these bad microbes, they are the ones that give off a bad smell. It's not the vagina. It's the mad microbes who are producing substances that smell. It's not the vagina, again. And uh, it also increases the risk that you'll get UTIs or, you, or that you'll get, uh, you know, uh, yeast overgrowth, candidiasis, and it, you'll start, like, itching and things like that. So water is fine. You don't need to go and use, all, like, 10,000 different products for that. Yes. Yes. Well, Sherry, this has been so great to talk to you. I'm so happy that we were finally able to meet and come together and talk about all these really great and important things that we don't talk about. So where can people find you if they need some help or how are they having some issues? Okay, so right now uh, I've put my website on on hold. Um, so if people want to reach me, it will be via my IG account, Instagram account. So it's autoimmune period productivity. And um, like right now I'm more into like educating, but I have a brand new, very short program uh, that I've been implementing in my private practice in 2014, where I've created like a 15-page question that really digs deep into like uh, the emotional state, digestion, um, intestinal health, your period, autoimmune health, and uh, what you're eating, not eating, how you sleep. It's like it's really, um, really goes in depth. And then based on that, I can give a person one step to implement. So that one step might will be the step that based on her symptoms, based on what she's doing, that I believe will help her take a faster step towards her, her goals and objectives. And then uh, there is this uh, program for women who um, might be struggling on paleo or might be struggling on the standard American diet and who know we need to start AIP, but it looks like it's so complicated. So this, uh, the, the, this there is this program that facilitates the transition. And it's not just about facilitating, it's about making you look forward to it. So I, I remember when I completed AIP with my, my very first uh, client, he was like uh, 17, yeah, 17. And he told me, you know what? You made it sound so complicated. Was weird. I was still learning, you know, but it was not that complicated. I actually really loved the whole process. It's because his mind was working differently because it, it you know, when you have a person see things differently, it becomes very easy to implement change without feeling like you're having to sacrifice yourself. And then I have other programs where I help people who they have already mastered the uh, nutrition part, um, but they need help with the mindset. So they might have uh, subconscious blocks. Uh, and they might know which one, so there's a short program for that, or they might have no idea. And I am actually completing uh, training uh, in clinical hypnotherapy that will look much more into subconscious reprogramming. Uh, so very short therapy, like maybe uh, in 90 minutes, 
being able to create something that the person will go and uh, listen to, like an audio using the words she uses herself to, uh, in a very simple way uh, to, to explain it, remove old thoughts and replace them with new ones that will serve you, that will help you achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Yeah, That's great. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you for your time. It was lovely meeting you. Yes, thank you. Okay, everyone, it's time to spread your legs and spread the love. Like us, follow, and subscribe. Make sure you follow Autoimmune Productivity on Instagram, and you can follow us at I Look Down There or me at Michelle Amore. And remember that confidence comes from the bottom up. So grab a mirror and look down there.